When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Kylie Elmiller showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley, and he scores. What a goal from Josh Bird. Caleb Trainer swoops and scores. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. Gets topside, Rambo scores. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here's your host, Hutton Jackson. What's up, Pro Lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of Pro Lacrosse Talk presented by Fanatics. Today's episode is airing live on Twitter Spaces. Uh, I'm your host, Hutton Jackson. Today, I'm joined by PLT contributors Brian Andrews and Matt Brignati. Today's episode, we're going to focus on the NLL Finals. We're headed to a Game 3. Excited about that, even though it does mean another week without some key PLL players because of their absences and their uh, presence in the NLL Finals. And then we're going to recap Week 2 in the PLL, which was another good one in Charlotte. Uh, We'll start off with the NLL Finals, and I'll go to you, Brian, first. But uh, Colorado forces Game 3, holds the bands to under 10 goals, which didn't happen much this season. Um, And the, the Mammoth looked really good despite not having Eli McLaughlin who was arguably their best player, second to Ryan Lee, who was also out. Um, but luckily, they got a huge game out of Connor Robinson, who's been a godsend for them this year. Um, and Dylan Ward played phenomenal in cage. But let's go to your thoughts on, on the Mammoth getting it done in Game 2 in the Loud House. You know, the series is a lot more exciting than I was giving it credit for uh, prior to the championship. I was, I was saying, you know, the Bandits Rock series was going to look like the most exciting series or what should have been the finals, but the Mammoth are really proving me wrong, and I'm really happy about it. Losing McLaughlin on top of Lee made me definitely nervous going into the second game, but their defense played really outstanding, like how Ward was saying, like you were saying. But this is only the second time this entire season that the Bandits have been held under 10 goals, and the Rock were the only other team to do it right prior to the playoffs. So I'm just happy that we're getting a great championship series that goes to a game three, even though we might be missing some guys for for the PLL. I think the NLL deserves to have a three-game championship series this year. No, absolutely. I, I think it's, you know, exciting for the sport to, to have a game three, and it really, you know, puts the a lot of the pressure, I think, now on the Bandits. And, um, yeah, it's unfortunate with the overlap. Um, I know I think uh, Mike Rabel might have mentioned somewhere I saw about, you know, hopefully the new commissioner coming in, they'll be able to work together and kind of have what they did in 2019 where there's no overlap because I think that's important for the players. So encouraging to hear that. You know, I know both sides want to do what's best for the players. Uh, but certainly excited for a game three um, back in Buffalo. I think it's nice too, that it kind of gives the home team um, or it gives the, the top seed a chance to win at home in Buffalo. Obviously for Colorado, you want to spoil that and, uh, you know, steal game three as well. But yeah, that, I mean, Dylan Ward came up huge, only holding, letting two goals in, in that first half. Uh, the, the over never had a chance really in this game. Um, although, you know, we did see a flurry of goals, coming out of the second half into the second half. But yeah, I, I thought it was a phenomenal game. Uh, again, Connor Robinson had played lights out. I think he had nine points in this. I, I have to double check that, but um, he's been playing great this series. I know Quebec Canada has future or has uh, MVP odds for uh, the NLL finals. Um, and he's plus 500 right there with Dylan Ward. I still think Dylan Ward might be a better spot to, to bet. If you think the Mammoth are going to win. Um, and then Dane Smith is currently the favorite at plus 250. Uh, but we'll, we'll save some of the betting talk for tomorrow on Bet on Lacrosse. But, yeah, I, I think it's been a phenomenal series. Um, I honestly think the Mammoth have a shot, too. Obviously, they show that they can beat this team, you know, last week. Um, but even going into Banditland, uh, I, like I said, I think the pressure is now on Buffalo. I think they're a, a team that can handle that pressure. Obviously, you saw they've come out of these close games and find way, found ways to win. You know, could have easily lost both those games to Toronto, and they didn't. Um, a little bit of luck involved, some of that were there too, but you know, um, still like, you know, you, sometimes it, it pays to be lucky. And uh, so far, it's so good for the Bandits. So um, I think they'll bounce back. I think it's going to be a tough one. 
Um, I still think the Bandits pull it out and become your 2022 NLL champions, but I think we're in for a good final. I'd be surprised if any team wins by more than one or two goals in this one. I think we're in for another another barn burner at the end in the Bandit land. Um, so definitely looking forward to that. And as I mentioned, you know, some of those guys playing the PLL as well. Another exciting week in the PLL. Chaos ended up falling shortly. We'll get to them a little bit, but they, they looked good even with those absences, the key absences. Uh, and, you know, on the other side, the team they faced, Archers had some absences of their own, you know, losing Connor Fields and Warren Jeffrey to the finals. Um, but let's go quick reactions. I'll start with you, Matt, to week two. Um, thoughts on week two, how it went in Charlotte? Uh, you know, what are, what are your hot takes, I guess, to start the podcast? Um. My my biggest takeaway, I think, was just, like, how bad the Redwoods have looked. Because, you know, during the first week, um, they didn't look great against the Atlas. But people were like, yeah, the Atlas, um, they're probably the best team in the league. You know, they're number one for a reason. And maybe, like, this game was just a fluke. But then in week two, they only put up three goals. Like, they didn't look good in any area of the field whatsoever, from offense to defense to the specialists, their goalie. Didn't look great. Um, uh, Troutner, TD Erland didn't look great. And I thought TD Erland was going to have a bounce back week against Connor Farrell, but Connor Farrell definitely had his number. But yeah, I was just shocked at just like how bad the Redwoods have looked through two weeks. I know it's early and they can easily turn around, but um, yeah, I've just like they just have so much talent. I was shocked at uh, how they played in week two. Yeah, no, certainly. I think everyone was kind of shocked. And they uh, they ended up, they were, I think it was 2019 against the Whipsnakes. They only scored four goals, which was the lowest score uh, by a team, lowest goal amount by a team in PLL history. And they uh, ended up surpassing that, only getting three this week against the Chrome. A very solid Chrome team that we're all, you know, pretty high on, um, you know, going into the season. And then after week one, what we saw, um, you know, certainly give credit to the Chrome for what they were able to do on defense. But um, a lot of the Redwoods wounds were self-inflicted as well. Uh, I don't know. What's your hot take from week two, Brian? Similar sentiments about the Redwoods or you want to focus on another team? Uh, Yeah, I don't. I mean, the Redwoods are not performing like they should on paper. But, you know, we talk all the time, especially last year, about how much parity there is in this league. And I think this year right now, we're not really feeling that very much. I feel like there's a distinct tier one and tier two of teams and the tier one teams have really shown that they have put stuff together early and other teams are showing that they're a little disjointed and have a lot of stuff to figure out. And I don't think the Redwoods are alone in that tier. And I hope that as the season goes on, we see more tightly contested games. We're seeing some pretty high game spreads right now. The Atlas have like a score differential of what, like 14, like, and the Redwood score differential is probably that far in the in the negatives. So I, I'm excited for some tighter scores and more exciting games down the stretch because some of these games have felt really one-sided, and I think it's crucial for the PLL to have more exciting games. Yeah, and you're right. The Atlas' score differential is positive 14, where uh, negative 15 is the Redwoods. Um, and I agree with you. Um, my, one of my takes from week two is the Water Dogs aren't as bad as the record shows. They're own two currently with the Chaos Redwoods, and I think we can all kind of agree that the chaos have looked decent despite all their absences. Um, so I kind of agree with you with the tiers, but the way I see it is there's three tiers. There's tier one, which are the Atlas, and they're miles ahead of a lot of other teams. There's tier two, which is, you know, the Chrome, Whip Snakes, uh, Archers, Cannons, Chaos, and Water Dogs, and then tier three is the Redwoods. I, I think. You know, it's very distinct. I think there's parity in the middle, and I think there's the Atlas at the top, Redwoods at the bottom. Now, it's a long season. This could change. I honestly, you know, think the Redwoods could get a bounce back against the Chaos this week. So, um, as bad as they look through two weeks, um, we've seen in the PLL any team can win. We saw the Chrome do it last year where they knocked off the Archers um, as well as the Whip Snakes in dramatic fashion, and they, they really beat up on them too. Obviously, some key injuries on uh, the Whip Snakes side when they beat them, but still, you know, you never know any given weekend for the PLO. Um, so that's just how it, I view it right now. I think that the Redwoods are, I am concerned if I'm a Redwoods fan from what I saw, whereas, you know, Chaos Waterdogs are both 0-2. Um, Waterdogs probably could have won that game if they didn't have some key injuries. Um, you know, Whipsnakes 2-0 right now could have easily lost to both Chaos and Waterdogs. So, you know, I think there's a lot of parity in the middle of the league. Um, but you are right. These scores have been a little bit more lopsided than we were used to seeing in the PLL. I mean, we got our first overtime game this past weekend between um, the Whip Snakes and Water Dogs, um, and not too many one-goal games so far this season. I think we'll see more of that 
Um, I don't think the Atlas can maintain this level of disparity between the rest of the teams. I do think they're a team that is going to be a force to be reckoned with, and I'm, you know, like them to win a lot of these games coming up. Um, you know, again, any given weekend, though, somebody can get it done. But let's start off with the first game of the weekend. We mentioned the Redwoods playing on the Chrome. We won't harp on the Redwoods too much, but, you know, we do have to talk about it a little bit. Uh, but let's start with you, Matt. Look on the other side, the, the positives from the Chrome. What did you see from this Chrome team? You know, it was kind of Wisnowski's coming out party. Uh, finally got his feet wet a little bit, you know, within week one, and now really looked like he was getting comfortable in the PLL game. But what did you see from this Chrome team? Yeah, um, I've been high on this Chrome team since before the season started. I think people were um, kind of overlooking them, and they didn't really, like, recognize the talent that they had. But um, – I think JT Giles Harris, I think he looked really, really good. Um, he played Rob Pinnell really well. I know Rob Pinnell's a little hurt, but JT still looked amazing and um, showed uh, how much the Chrome were missing him last year because he didn't play last year. And uh, Scannoni looks incredible too. I thought he really impressed me against the Redwoods. And, you know, he rode the bench last year behind John Galloway. Obviously, you know, John Galloway is one of the greats. But um, he, he looked great. And this Chrome team, they just there's just something about them. The rookies are playing well. You know, Wisnowski's had five goals. Nick Turner's been playing pretty good. And Dylan Malloy, he's, he's been incredible. So the Chrome, they're just clicking on, on all cylinders right now. And uh, I, they look like a really scary team, and I would not want to play them right now. You know, and I feel like, too, I don't want to say less is more with the Chrome, but they, they each player has their defined role. I think Dylan Malloy mentioned it in the postgame how – you know, he's got that right side. You got Nick Turn at X, and you got Wisnowski on the left side. Like, they know their space, and that's not to say that they don't move around the field. We saw, you know, Dylan Malloy score some left-handed goals in week one. We see Wisnowski all over the field. We saw him do it at Maryland, and it was the same, you know, with the Chrome this, uh, this weekend as well. But, you know, they have a lot of, like, good guys at the right positions, at every position, and they play as a team. And they make the hustle plays, too. Joe Keegan pointed it out in his 10-man ride newsletter um, a lot of hustle plays. I, I think they were up by eight goals at one point and Colin Heacock still laying out, you know, for ground balls and on, on the end line and stuff like that. So um, this team knows what they are and plays as a unit. And I think, you know, I, I think they're the real deal. I really do. Um, I think they have a tough test playing the water dogs again this weekend. Cause I do think the water dogs are better than their record. Um, it'll, a lot of it will be dependent on whether Jake Withers can go, but um, yeah, I really like this Chrome team. They're a complete team. Um, and they, they do the little things right. And I think the leadership from, you know, John Rannigan and Jordan McIntosh and obviously coach Tim Sudan is really trickling down and, and Jesse Bernhardt as well, another captain. Um, and I, I think this team, they, they buy into the system. Um, Justin Anderson, you know, young leader on that team doing well. You even look at a guy who played a lot for them last year and Jackson Morrow has to do, you know, have a different role in this offense. They're still making, you know, the hustle plays or whatever. Um, and I think that was the difference between the Redwoods. And and you look on the Redwoods side, probably a little bit more talent on that team, but um, a lot of ball-dominant players, not a lot of movement on offense. It just doesn't look like they, they know what they're trying to do on offense. And I'm not knocking their draft because I think Arden Cohen was the right pick. Um, and obviously, I think landing Nakai where they did was, was big too. But I remember we talked to Jake Watts about – them meeting an off-ball guy that, you know, didn't need the ball on a stick or whatever. And they kind of had that with Ryan Lee last year. He got hurt. Um, Clark Peterson's another guy that's kind of been that for them in, you know, 2020, a little bit his rookie season as well. He's on the roster, but they haven't played him yet. Um, I feel like they need one of those guys, you know, and that that's somebody that I, I feel like – I'm not saying Clark Peterson's the answer. I'm just saying that they have too many guys that need the ball on their stick and – it's hard when you're trying to feed a lot of mouths. And, you know, right now Rob Pinnell isn't really making this offense go, and he kind of needs to be that guy, you know, to, to draw the extra slide or whatever, to move the ball. Um, you know, you need it from Miles Jones at, up top as well. And, I don't know, you're just not seeing that right now. But, you know, the effort just doesn't seem there either. And I do think they have the one of the worser short-stick defensive mini units as well in the league. So that's another thing that I, I think – is uh, an area for them to improve on. I don't think this defense, honestly, like we, we've touted this defense for a while. They were good in 2019. A lot of that had to do with Matt Landis. Decent in 2020, decent in 2021, but they haven't actually been the cream of the crop like the Whipsnakes or Archers do. They, they We've kind of touted them up there with likes of Archers and Whipsnakes, but Whipsnakes and Archers have actually been more consistent defensively over time the past two years than the Redwoods have. So 
definitely interesting to see if they can put together against, uh, um, you know, this chaos team that obviously has some holes as well, but they're getting stronger each week. They're adding Challen Rogers this week. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, yeah, I kind of agree. Any, anything else to add about the Chrome or Redwoods, Brian? I particularly love seeing Farrell back in form. He had kind of a down year. I mean, like if you weren't Baptiste Erwin or Nardella, you kind of had a down year last year. And I love that Connor Farrell is showing what he showed at the bubble in 2020. So couldn't be happier for that guy. And I think he's really contributing to the team. Um, and also, Scannoni is playing better than anyone expected, except for people on this podcast. We were high on Scannoni when he got picked up during the MLL bubble. We knew he was going to play well. We all said he was going to be the starter for the Chrome and people doubted it, saw it all over Twitter and he's playing great. And I'm so happy to see it. Um, Matt already brought it up, but love seeing a healthy JT uh, Giles Harris. It's just, it's just fun rooting for them after, you know, all the retirements and last year kind of not just being able to put it together. It's just really fun to be able to root for them right now. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, you know, and I don't know if it's maybe the upstate New York, like Rochester ties that they have to the team, but they kind of feel like the Buffalo Bills, you know, to me, where they, they were good during the MLL days, this team. Then they went through a rough period where they haven't been good for a while. And now they've starting to get, you know, really good with a lot of young talent. Um, and, you know, I, I personally, I'm a Ravens fan, so I don't like when we play the Bills, but I like rooting for the Bills as a team that I don't really have many qualms with compared to some of the other AFC teams. That's kind of how I feel about this Chrome team. I've kind of adopted them as my team, even though I try to not, you know, be mostly impartial, but they're fun to root for. And you're right, you know, having had bad seasons the past three years, you know, even though they were decent in the bubble, it was a short season. um, I think it's, uh, you know, great to kind of root for them. And um, I think they're going to be good. Um, You know, I think they have another tough test against the Water Dogs. I don't think they can take any game lightly and get too too ahead of themselves, but I think this group, they don't strike me as a team to get too high. You know, I don't think we're going to see archers popping champagne, you know, through four weeks type of celebration from the Chrome. I think they're going to be focused each week, but uh, certainly like what I'm seeing from them so far. I mean, I mentioned the archers uh, can't knock them too much because they had a big week as well against the chaos. They lost the Chrome last week, came out big against the chaos in a game that we thought was going to, you know, be more of a defensive battle than an offensive battle. But well, Manny, the fireworks were going off. He moves up, in the all-time scoring list, I think he's ninth now, um, all-time. And, you know, been playing playing for a while now, but still got a lot of lacrosse in him. I know he said in his interview that um, he feels like he's playing his best lacrosse right now, and you can certainly see that. I think they got a big day out of Matt Moore. Um, you know, him being able to beat players off the dodge and score unassisted is kind of what this Archers team needed because they're a very unselfish group but they needed somebody other than just Grant Amon to beat their guy. And even Grant, you know, he, we know he can dodge and score, but he's still kind of a feed first player when they need somebody that's going to be like, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to score and you're going to have to respect me. And that opens it up for everybody else. And we saw that against the chaos uh, against one of, you know, Blaze's worst games to date. It wasn't a terrible game from him, but 40%, you know, is not what we've been accustomed to seeing, you know, when he's putting up 60% and higher save percentage uh, game to game. So, Definitely uh, interesting in that regard. I'll go to you, Matt, because I know you want to touch on Blaze a little bit. But um, thoughts on the chaos, you know, despite the loss, uh, any positives or any negatives that you saw? Yeah, I think that, you know, to put up I, – I believe they put up 12 goals. You know, to put that up with a offense that is – a player pull offense, you know. they Pretty much their whole offense is the on the Buffalo Bandits. So to put up 12, that was impressive that um, – that just shows you like how good their coaching staff is, how good their system is. So I know once that once their starters come back, I think their offense will be good. Um, yeah, Blaze, you mentioned him. He got he was forty percent this game. He's off to a pretty slow start this season, and he just I don't know what it is, but he just doesn't look like the MVP Blaze. So maybe um, I I just don't know what it is about him. But yeah, he's off to a, a slow start, but. Obviously, you know the Archers didn't have Grant Amen. They weren't one hundred percent, but their offense was still do- was still looking good. And um, neither team was at one hundred percent in this game. But I think that if you're the Archers, you're glad you can get away with a win without Grant Amen and still look that good. So I think that both teams definitely have positives. And if you're the Chaos, you know it's just the second week. You know, you know the um, uh, uh, reinforcements are coming, and you're going to be um, in that. Well, I don't want to say they're definitely going to be in the playoffs, but there's a really good shot that they'll be in the playoffs, even though they're 0-2. So, um, 
But yeah, there's definitely really positive takeaways from both teams here, even though um, the Archers, I mean, even though the Chaos lost, there's definitely positive takeaways. Yeah, no, and uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, I think they looked good. They got some pieces back too in Westburg and Austin Stotts returned as well. Uh, both those guys contributed. Um, you know, Kyle Jackson's been looking great. Um, and then they're adding Challen Rogers, you know, coming up as well. So he's more, I think, going to be running some more defensive shifts, but he can score as well. So, yeah, definitely starting to get the reinforcements. Obviously, they really need Josh Byrne and Dane Smith back and, you know, Chase Frazier, Chris Cloutier. Once those guys get back, it's going to be a whole other team. But, um, yeah, definitely liked what I saw. And I, I wouldn't be too worried about Blaze right now. Um, definitely hasn't been up to par, but he kind of set the bar high for himself last couple seasons. So, um, yeah, not too worried. Would have liked to see more. Um, you know, some of them I feel like he was either getting screened or just really good placement shots. You know, we know the archers can sling it. So, um, yeah, definitely a good showing for them despite, you know, starting out 0-2. No moral victories in PLO, but, you know, for going 0-2, they've had some decent losses so far. So can't be too upset. On the flip side, Brian, what about this Archers team do you like, you know, after watching them through two weeks? Yeah, it's hard for me to take too much away from the chaos game. Like, we always talk about how, you know, Blaze can't stand on his head every game. And even though the chaos defense, like, has, you know, had good games, much uh, or a much better showing this season than I thought most of last season until the playoffs anyway. Uh, it's just not a winning formula, so – We'll see what happens when their offense comes back. Like, I don't I don't think we should put too much weight on this defensive performance. But I think this does give a lot of good context for uh, the Archers' formula for success for this season. And also, it kind of shows how tough the competition is in uh, terms of how good the Chrome are from last week. The Archers kind of buried the chaos a little bit. And uh, their defense has been really consistent. You know, really good Chrome offense putting up 11. Uh, a kind of battered chaos defense putting up 12. I mean, even though the quality of play might be different, whatever your opinion is on that, there's consistency with the Archers defense. So I think that we're going to fall into the trap, just like last year, where the offensive volatility of the Archers could be their undoing again. So it's, again, going to be all on the Archers offense to be consistent through the rest of the season for them to be successful, I think. Yeah, and the other tough thing, too, about this is – you know, they were dominated actually at the face-off strike without an Osseo, um there or whatever, despite winning, you know, so they've shown that they can kind of overcome the deficits at the face-off strike. Um, but I agree with you. The defense has looked good despite not having Warren Jeffrey. Um, you know, CJ Costabile had five points off of three shots in this game. He had a hat trick. Two of them were uh, two-point goals. So, you know, you, you eliminate some of those and then the archers defensive performance is looking a little bit better than what it was. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think having the aim back will also be a key piece for them, even though D Simone has looked good. Um, you know, I don't know how much aim is going to give the, a spark to this offense, but it'll be great when they have him back. It's going to definitely still make the team better. Um, but yeah, I think it's still a little early to see, you know, the archers, like we saw performances like this from them, in the past, we know what they can be. It's just like you said, that consistency. So definitely uh, will be interesting going forward. That brings us to Atlas versus Cannons. Um, I felt like I had a pretty good read on this game. And, uh, you know, even though the Cannons got off to a pretty good start, um, the Atlas team we saw week one showed up again in week two. Jeff T continues to do amazing things. He's, he, uh, he fed from his knees behind the cage to uh, streaking Brendan Curry on one of those plays. I think he had five points this week, so a little bit down from last week, having seven, um, which is as good as anybody could ask for. Him and Chris Gray work so well together. And even, you know, you look at um, Eric Law, too. He only had one goal, and I was, like, in garbage time. But he means so much to that offense in terms of just being a threat that, you know, once teams start to really clamp down on Teat and Gray, they're going to know they're going to have Eric Law around the crease. Or they're going to have, you know, a skip up top to either Acosta Beal or Romar Dennis who can shoot on the run two-pointers like nobody's business. So, um, yeah, this Atlas team is just fun to watch. Like I said, like any team can beat anybody, but uh, this Atlas team I think has been the most dominant through two weeks since the 2020 Whip Snakes, and I, I think they have a chance to, to kind of be that type of team, obviously a much longer season, but 
Um, they look as good as anybody. I don't know. Thoughts, Matt? You agree with me? Uh, it's hard not to agree with me, I guess, after these past two performances with the Atlas. But anything you want to add about this Atlas offense? Yeah, um, I, I 100% agree. And I think Eric, well, Eric Law is the guy that the Redwoods are missing. Not to go back to the Redwoods, but they need that off-ball guy. And Eric Law is that for that for the Atlas and he just he works so well with Jeff Teat and I also just want to add Trevor Baptiste has been incredible and I saw on Twitter that um you know he, he's always won faceoffs but box lacrosse and playing box has helped his stick skills and his confidence so much now he's he's such a threat in transition he's such a threat to score that he's he looks he looks so dominant I don't think we've seen a faceoff guy this dominant since that Greg Rillian MLL MVP season and that was like he, he was unbelievable, and that's what Trevor Baptiste is this year, and he just looks amazing. And yeah, it's gonna be really hard to beat this Atlas team. I just hope that they don't peak too early, because you know there's there's sometimes in this league where teams will go through really really good stretches, and then they'll come back down to earth and they'll have really bad stretches. And it'll, I just hope that that doesn't happen. I hope this doesn't happen with this Atlas team. But I think they're too talented, and I think they're well-coached, too. I think Ben Rubio is a pretty good PLL coach. And, uh, yeah, I think this team is going to be really tough to beat. And, Brian, you're an Atlas fan, so I'll let you just go ahead and be a homer. Talk about this Atlas team. You know, you can go defensive side, too, because we're giving a lot of love to the offense, but the defense has been playing well, too. It's a great day to be an Atlas fan, man. I will admit, even though I knew their offense was going to show up, I was like a tiny bit nervous that they let up 11 to the Redwoods. And then I saw them play against the, the Redwoods play against the Chrome and they only got three. So even without Lyle, I was a little worried about whether like what defensive adjustments are going to be made. Uh, Also a lot more pick heavy guys on the cannons offense. And we saw the Atlas kind of crumble against the chaos pick heavy offense in the playoffs last year. So I I will admit I was a little nervous that the cannons were going to be able to keep up. And they started out really strong, but then the Atlas just could not be kept up with. Trevor Baptiste was unstoppable in transition, like Matt was saying, and that's been really fun to watch. The rookies are just meshing incredibly well, and I think you have to credit a lot of that to the really good off-ball leadership that they have. Tucker Durkin is the field general for the defense, pushing around the younger guys, telling them where to go, like just being a real captain. And Eric Law is the same way. He's like not He's not like the most – outspoken yelly guy but he's the guy on the crease commanding the offense and letting the guys who want the ball on their stick to do that and then capitalizing when the defense needs to go overplay to those people I just think they have the right pieces in the right place and you got to give a lot of credit to Rubio and his assistant coaching staff like Ken Clawson they're really putting something together here and as long as they avoid champagne parties in the locker room I don't see this momentum really shifting at all in the near future yeah, no, I, I agree. And this offense is just so efficient and selfless, and they, ju- they just move the ball so well. It's almost I, – I want to talk, too, to, to Matt's point about Trevor Baptiste because I think it's important having a good faceoff guy for this team. I think he means a lot more than just his ability to push transition and stuff, but this Atlas team is almost so good at scoring that – they don't waste any time, you know, like they can get settled down into the offense if they want to, but like they're so efficient at scoring that their downfall could be the fact that they get into shootouts with teams. But the fact that you have Trevor Baptiste at the stripe, they can play, make it, take it a lot. Whereas I think if they had a a little bit of a weakness at the faceoff stripe, it could be a lot like the archers where they can score, but if they're not getting those possessions as much possessions as everybody, that can kind of be your Achilles heel. You know, we saw the cannons kind of struggle with that last year. They were one of the top efficient offenses as well, but um, struggled at the faceoff stripe limited their possessions. Um, And I got to give them credit too. They came out a lot stronger than I thought they would. And they were still in this game late, despite Atlas going on that long run. So give credit to, you know, the cannons for kind of locking it down on defense, forcing Mm -hmm. some turnovers um, and, you know, getting some opportunities to put the ball back in the net. I think the Atlas defense fell asleep a little bit um, kind of towards the end of that game because they did kind of have it locked up early, but um, yeah, the Mm -hmm. Atlas team, like I said, I I mean, we could talk all day about them, but um, they, they look like a force this week and uh, the Whipsnakes better be ready to play because Whipsnakes haven't put together a complete game so far this season. And you can't do that against this Atlas team. So definitely looking forward to that matchup. Um, But um, right now the the Atlas do look like the team to beat. obviously undefeated so far, but of the the three undefeated teams, um, I I do think they're in a tier of their own right now. 
And then we moved to the Water Dogs and the Whip Snakes. We mentioned the Whip Snakes. Not a great start for them. They ended up pulling it out, though, in overtime. Um, I'll start with you, Matt, though. Water Dogs, they kind of had it. You know, they had a, a nice, comfortable lead. There's no comfortable leads in the PLL, but some injuries kind of – the injury bug kind of hit them midway through this game. What did you see from this Water Dogs team, both positive and negative, as they ended up, you know, dropping this game in overtime? First of all, I just want to say I'm a really big Water Dogs fan. I've been following them super closely, and I think that – the offense just – they're starting to click a little bit with Sowers. And if you think of it, this is only Sowers' fourth professional game, and two of them weren't even real full games. So he's still kind of getting used to, you know, the pros a little bit, and everyone's getting used to playing with him because the Dogs' offense looked good last year without him, and they're still trying to find their groove with him because obviously he's a super talented player, but he needs the ball in his stick. And um, obviously, no Jake Withers. When he got taken out, he took five faceoffs, and then the Water Dogs just kept bringing out Zach Courier to take him. Um, in my opinion, I would have put out a poll on Nardella because I think it would have been a little bit more challenging for him. But that was just my opinion. Um, but they kept throwing out Courier. Obviously, Joe Nardella is going to have a day, so he he went like eighty five percent from the stripe and like fifteen ground balls, and that's like. The perfect recipe for a comeback is just winning faceoffs and scoring goals, and that's obviously what they did. The they just got so many more possessions than the the Water Dogs. I thought the Water Dogs played great, but just their just the um the difference in possessions just killed them here. Obviously, um, yeah, when you when you're losing eighty five percent of your faceoffs, it's going to be hard to make up those possessions. Um, I thought the defense played pretty good, but uh. And I think the Water Dogs are, you said before, Hudden, they're playing better than their record. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard to overcome when you only dress one faceoff guy and he gets hurt after five faceoffs. It's really, it's hard to come back from that. Yeah, and I, I want to give Courier some credit. I think he just was gassed because uh, there was one, one faceoff where he lost it pretty cleanly and he mucked it up and ended up getting the ground ball like and taking it all the way down to X. So, like, you know, he, he was able to kind of, do his job, what they needed him to do for the most part at the strike. They weren't expecting him to, you know, really go toe to toe with Nardella, but at least like, you know, make it more 50, 50, um, let his wings kind of help him. But it just, it really killed him, you know, cause he's a great offensive player as well. And you can use him a little bit on defense, like having him, you know, battle it out at the, the stripe, those, you know, all those possessions, I think really took the wind out of his sails. Um, and, you know, the water dogs do have a little bit of depth, but they're not the deepest team. Um, and I think too, the, the defense played really, really well when they were able to get in the settled six on six, but there's a few times where the whip snakes caught them with Mikey Schlosser and Connor Kelly on defense. And that's where the whip snakes had a lot of success. They were good at exploiting those matchups. Um, and I think that's what the water dogs just need to be a little bit more disciplined, you know, both getting back on defense. Um, and I think that's kind of overall, there's a lot of fixable mistakes that the water dogs made. Um, and obviously when you lose Jake Withers, that's going to be, you know, tough to come back from. But I, I think if Withers is healthy and ready to go this week, I, we don't know. We have to monitor that. Um, I think they have a good shot against beating this Chrome team because we know Connor Farrell is at, at his best when he's winning the clan. He wins the clamps better than anybody. Um, but his exit, you know, percentage is high when, you know, when his exit percentage is high, when he's able to convert those clamps into face-off wins and maintain possession, he's at his best. Well, Jake Withers is also the best when losing the clamp um, on face-off. So he's kind of been Achilles' heel for Connor Farrell in the past. So that's what's going to be interesting, I think, if Withers is able to go. Um, I think he could kind of neutralize Farrell a little bit, and this could be a little bit more back and forth. But, um, yeah, I thought overall the dogs looked, you know, not too bad. Um, I thought Jack Hanna played really, really well. He's He's got a lot of confidence, which I think is important. And this Water Dogs offense can put up points. Uh, it's just the fact that them getting caught, you know, you know, Mikey Slosser getting caught on defense, and the fact that their short stick defensive minis aren't that strong to begin with in general. You know, not having DiNapoli out there, who's now been added to the pup list. Maybe Charlie Hayes comes in and gives them a little bit more of a spark. Wasn't too impressed with really, really any of them. Scarpello, Higgins, you know, I think has potential, but, you know, in his first pro game, was, you know, just okay. Um, so yeah, definitely going to need to see a little bit more from this water dogs, short stick defensive middies and just a little bit more discipline, but you know, tough ask when your face off guy goes out halfway through the game, uh, on the whip side, Brian, what did you see from the whip snakes, both positives and negatives? They did end up pulling this victory out in overtime. Um, you know, almost did it earlier with a, a nice, 
another goal by Jay Carlson that was waved off because he landed in the crease before across the goal line. But thoughts on the whip snakes state of the whips right now. Yeah. In all honesty, I, I think the whips just feel slow. They're like, they barely pulled it out against the chaos. And I don't think the chaos are playing particularly poorly, but that, and then coupled with this overtime comeback win against a water dogs team that we haven't, even, we haven't seen put together a full 48 minutes whether it's mistakes at the beginning of the game or mistakes at the end of the game or injuries or whatever, they haven't really shown us a dominant performance against any team or a consistent performance against any team so far. And it's weird to say that when I don't feel like their personnel has really changed all that dramatically, even since like 2019. Um, And I don't really know what the solution is for that. I I feel like teams are just kind of trying like kind of figuring out some of their better players tendencies and how to kind of get past some of their systems. And uh, yeah, I think, I think down the stretch, they have to stop only winning one goal games or overtime wins if they're going to see, you know, far into the postseason. But I don't, I don't know what the answer is to solve a problem like that. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. And I think honestly, the answer is Ed Williams, you know, once they get him back, I think it will really, transform this offense because you know how much you know he draws doubles and stuff and i think that's the the issue with the whips right now is they've rolled out a couple couple different you know attack lines trying to see what works and once they get zed back that kind of you know answers a lot of their questions they're also very opportunistic which is a good thing and a bad thing you know you look at i mean you, you look at jay carlson his whole game is built around being opportunistic he cleans up the crease he scores those goals he had five goals in this game um and that is his strength the problem is you know, in a game like they did lost in the, to the chaos last year, you know, when, when they're not able to make those plays or when a team out hustles them, which is rare that when teams do, but you know, a team like a, the Chrome, I think could really pose as a problem for the whip snakes, because I think a Chrome team that has that hustle, they're opportunistic as well. Atlas, very opportunistic as well too. You know, you, you look at Jeff T, Jeff T doesn't score the same goal twice. You know, he scores in a variety of different ways or he feeds in a variety of different ways. And that's pretty much he just takes what the offense or the defense gives him. And I think that's where you're going to see them kind of struggle. Um, the Swips team struggle a little bit against this Atlas team just because the you know, defense is playing well. Give credit to Kyle Burnlore. He's returned to form. Um, Earhart is still all over the field. But, yeah, I, I think the, the woes lie with the Whipsnakes offense and relying a little bit too much on, I don't want to say luck, but – too much on making those hustle plays to win games. And that can only take you so far. So they're going to have to get better at just running their offense and being a little bit more efficient uh, early on um, in order to kind of, you know, build some leagues and maintain those leads in terms of not having to, you know, come back against teams. So that's kind of how I feel. I feel similar about the, the whips for sure. Um, yeah. And definitely. And to yeah. add to your point, to add to your point, I think one thing that they're really going to have to get over the season is is defenses like really focusing on disrupting some of their offensive strengths. Rambo at five and five, causing a slide to hang, and then having that off ball presence, whether that's Jay Carlson or Zed Williams, like you're describing. We saw Jared Newman last week just completely eliminate that island for Rambo, forcing Rambo to go right handed a lot, which I think we've maybe seen like. You could probably count the instances of that on one hand throughout the three or four years of the PLL so far. So I think the whip snakes are going to have to be comfortable filing into a little bit more of like an archers type freestyle offense rather than having their sets that they're really comfortable with and have to, you know, go up the other side from X from an initiator standpoint or, or, or something there. I think teams are really going to focus on getting them out of their comfort zone offensively. And they're going to have to come up with other ways to score. And until they do that, I think they're going to find themselves in the close games for the entire season. And I think that's going to be really tiring and wearing on them. Yeah, no. And you, you see like a team like the water dogs that has the poles to kind of hang with the whip snakes, you know, Ben Randall, doing great against Rambo for most of the day. But then you saw like later as the game progressed and go back to be- them being a little bit undisciplined. Um, I forget who was on Rambo, but Rambo got a short stick matchup and, you know, obviously you don't want to have Rambo just go to the cage and score, but I feel like Liam Burns kind of went a little split a little too soon and Rambo just, you know, picked that apart and found cursed on the doorstep. So um, yeah, that that's where I think, you know, as long as like, if once they start playing teams that are disciplined and not saying that the w- water dogs aren't, disciplined or the chaos aren't disciplined but you know once they play teams that 
are as disciplined as they tend to play, that's where I think they're going to have some trouble. I just don't think that the talent gap that they had in, you know, the couple, first couple of years isn't there anymore. Not that it was like that big to begin with, but, you know, you could make the case that they had the best, you know, players at the best, you know, m- most of the positions. And you could still make the case for maybe Earhart, um, but, you know, teams have caught up a little bit to Rambo. Nardella, you know, is still a solid faceoff guy, but Baptiste is at top of his game. There's new guys in the league like T.D. Earl and Jake Withers. So, um, yeah, definitely not as dominant. But, um, you know, as Stegnita said, you, you can't complain too much when you play bad and you still pull out two wins. So um, definitely a positive for them to take forward. Um, and I mentioned a little bit of the waiver news already. You know, we had uh, Charlie Hayes getting added to the Water Dogs roster. Town Rogers is getting added to the Chaos roster, which is really exciting. We haven't seen him play pro field lacrosse in two years. Last time he played pro field lacrosse, is for the Boston Cannons win an MLL championship. So excited to see him back at the field. Wasserman ends up going to player pool because of that. And then Sergio Salcido uh, rejoins the Woods. So I don't know what roster move they're going to make in uh, return to add him because I think they're now at 26 by adding him. Um, interesting to see him added. I think that could provide a little bit of a spark on transition if that's what they're hoping to do. But um, in terms of like settled six on six, I don't know. I don't know if having like another ball dominant guy that likes to have it in his stick is going to be that huge of a um, plus for them. So I don't know. That that's kind of my thoughts on that. We've also heard rumors that Jake Caraway, uh, well, not rumors, but reported from Kevin Brown of Inside Lacrosse that the Atlas are shopping Jake Caraway now. Um, so potentially on the move, Jake Caraway obviously had a great year last year, trailed off a little bit towards the end. No Chris Gray, so that's kind of why. You know, now that Chris Gray's in this offense, he's kind of taken a back seat and been a healthy scratch the past two weeks. Um, but I'll go with you, Brian. Since you're an Atlas fan, you hope the Atlas hold on to Caraway, maybe run him from the box a little bit this season, um, or do you think now's the time to kind of move him in a trade? I think it's worth rotating him in and seeing how he fits in with the system before maybe considering something like that. But I think, especially after these two weeks, just to shift the perspective a little bit. If I was any coach in this league, I wouldn't want to give the Atlas any piece of my team, current or future, in the form of draft picks. There's just no way you can convince me that after the two dominant wins the Atlas have, that they need more things. I mean, Rubio already has future picks. Like, I don't even know what Rubio would really want in return right now. I just don't – I just don't – the league is too small still, so trades – sometimes thinking of trades kinds of – kind of can be overwhelming – but I, if I'm a coach, I'm waiting for them to leave him on the waiver wire and, and pick Haraway up instead of losing more pieces if I need to improve and giving them to what looks like the best team in the league by a long shot right now. Yeah, and I think, too, if we do see a trade happen, let's not overreact to it because we saw Jules Henningberg be traded for Alec Talay, who ended up not playing much, I don't think, at all for the Whip Snakes um, when that trade happened. You know, you see trades like Brent Adams going for a fourth-round pick um, obviously he hasn't, you know, he, that's probably actually a good trade in hindsight, just given his production, but um, we've seen players go for, you know, crazy returns. And it's just because if a deal is going to happen, it's going to be at the terms of one of the coaches. So, you know, Jake Carraway gets traded for a fourth round pick. doesn't mean Jake Carraway's worth a fourth round pick. It just means that the coach that's trading that fourth round picks knows he has leverage in the situation more than Ben Rubio does. But that's why I think I kind of agree with you. I don't know if I'm, if I'm Ben Rubio the only thing I would, you know, make sure it doesn't happen is that Jake Carraway doesn't sit out, you know, off the restricted roster three weeks in a row and end up in the player pool. But other than that, um, you know, I think it's worth trying to work him in the lineup. I wouldn't force him in the lineup because this team clearly doesn't need him. Um, I think he could still be a good, you know, off ball threat, you know, up top at the midfield. He's, propensity to be able to score from range so certainly there's a spot on this offense if they want to fit him in but uh yeah I, if i'm ruby or i'm listening to calls but i'm not going out of my way to maybe try to, to force a trade if it's not there um and like you said i don't think they really need anything necessarily out of it uh similar thoughts matter what are your thoughts kind of on caraway and if you do think he gets moved where do you think is a good spot for him to land um well i think that if, if i was the atlas if i was ben ruby or i would probably I would, I'd give him a, I'd give him an opportunity, like, like, like Brian said, just to see how he fits in. Cause you know, he's a really talented player and I know the Atlas offense is just absolutely stacked, but I think he's too talented for you to just give up to the player pool, which that would happen after this week. Right. If he, um, yeah. Yeah. Sure. 
four weeks because he was on the restricted roster in week one. So I think that was probably, oh. you know, purposeful move. So he still has two more weeks um, if he's not on the restricted roster. And so that's also the game to play. Drew could not actually activate him and still keep him on the restricted roster, um, you know, each week um, and still keep him on this team. So he has some options, even if it's not dressing him. If I was the Atlas, I would um, I would try to see how he fits in with the system, how he fits in with Chris Gray and Jeff Teat. Well, he played he played with Jeff T last year, but both of them together. But um, yeah, if he if he doesn't fit or they they just have too much talent, I think a good place to maybe look would be the Redwoods. You know, their offense is struggling, but they kind of need more of a guy like an Eric Law. I don't know how much a guy like Jake Carry Jake Carraway would help them, but um, obviously he's a really talented player. So I think that the people who are getting well, the teams that are getting Jake Carraway would have all the leverage in, in the situation. So I think you could get him at a pretty good price just because the Ellis aren't even dressing him. So you're not going to give up a first-round pick for a guy that they're not even dressing. So, yeah, I think that um, I think there's a couple different options, and uh, I'm interested. I'm interested to see where he goes. Yeah, so am I if he does get moved. Uh, I think the Redwoods could work if they utilize him as an off-ball shooter, which he was predominantly last year. I mean, we saw at Georgetown, he was kind of the do-it-all, you know, Dodge from X type of attackman. And then, um, you know, we know he has range, but that's kind of how he operated last year. You know, I went back and watched his highlights last year. A lot of it, you know, him just finding space and scoring. And um, the times he was dodging was when he got a shorty matchup, which, uh, you know, obviously was – probably because of much of the attention to Jeff T and, uh, you know, Eric Law and some of the other guys on the, the midfield. So, yeah, definitely interesting to see if he does end up anywhere. But, yeah, I don't know if I'm the Redwoods if I, I make that move just because I would rather give a guy like Clark Peterson an opportunity to kind of step in who knows the offense first before maybe making a trade for a guy. Um, it's just not as clear of a fit. And, you know, like we said, Jake Jake Watts, talked about you know them adding like a Jonathan Donville obviously Donville wasn't even able to suit up for the cast last week so you know that wouldn't have been the the right move either at three but he saw that they still need a guy like that is that guy that's going to fit into those spaces and kind of finish it um finish the ball so yeah definitely you know interested to see what the Redwoods do this week I still think this offense you know if they just had two bad games I, I don't think it's doom and gloom just yet for the Redwoods um, I'm a little bit more actually concerned about the defense than I am probably the offense. As weird as that sounds, you know, your offense only puts up four points, but you know, they've shown that they can put up 17, I think last year in facing the water. Dogs. I believe it was that much. So, um, you know, there's potential there. The defense is, I think a little bit more concerning, ironically enough, but we'll see how they do um, this week against this chaos team. And let's start with our, our game previews now. Um, we'll go just go quick around the horn, but I'll start with Chrome Water Dogs. Uh, I'll start with you, Matt. You think the Water Dogs can pull this out, or do you think uh, you know it's dependent on Withers' status? And do you think the Chrome maybe get the three and out? Kind of what are your thoughts on this game? Um, yeah, obviously the Chrome look really good, and you mentioned earlier how Withers is really good after not getting the clamp because he doesn't really he doesn't really even go for clamps. He he just goes for rakes, and a guy like Connor Farrell who struggles with first time ground balls and honestly with the ball on his stick, he's, he's like the guy, he's like the like exact definition of like you face off, you pass the ball and you get off the field. That's just his game. And I think that a guy like Jake Withers would definitely take advantage of that. But um, also don't sleep on their backup, Zach Tucci, the rookie from uh, UNC. He is, is very similar to Withers, and he's just like a really scrappy, athletic player who um, he'll pick up a ton of ground balls, and he's just really scrappy like Withers, and he reminds me a lot of him, and I think that's why they decided to keep him as their backup Fogo. So um, I don't think it's a huge downgrade if if Tucci plays because him and Withers' style are so similar. But yeah, this is definitely going to be a really tough game for the Water Dogs, and I think... I think the difference maker in this game is going to be Ryan Brown. When the Water Dogs offense last year was at their best, Ryan Brown was at the forefront doing his thing. He's, I, I think he's the best shooter on the planet. And he he had one goal against the Whipsnakes, I believe. And he he's yet to have that game where he breaks out. And I think this could be it. If he plays good, I think the Water Dogs can pull it out. 
And if they keep the face-off battle um, close, if Withers plays or not, I think if Tucci plays, I think he could definitely put up a fight just because just because of how athletic he is. But um, yeah, this is definitely going to be a great game. If uh, I, uh, it, it it'll be a tough game for the Water Dogs, but I think I think the Chrome are going to go three and zero. To be honest, like gut feeling, but they just look really good, and I don't think the Water Dogs have have it all figured out yet, especially with the injury bug. What do you think, Brian? Similar sentiments? Yeah, very similar. I think uh, the one thing that the Water Dogs are going to have to do is be able to match pace with the Chrome. Uh, and if Withers isn't good and and they don't bring Tucci for whatever reason, I think particularly for Farrell, as opposed to um, Nardella, they're going to need to pull that much more because Farrell can really win to himself cleanly and box you out. And I think having a pull up there to disrupt and have Courier come in from the wing to help him with the ground ball might be able to help with that a little. Uh, but I think it's going to be really hard to stifle the pace of this Chrome defense and also have them go to the offensive end and produce themselves, which they have shown to be a little stagnant at parts of the game where the Chrome really haven't as much. So I think I think this has the potential to be a little bit of a shootout uh, if, if the Water Dogs offense – finds themselves in posi- positions where they can initiate, beat their man, and get the ball to Ryan Brown, like like Matt was saying, because that's where they're successful, and they haven't shown as much of that as they need to yet. Yeah, um, and I, I tend to lean, you know, honestly, Water Dogs. I love this Chrome team, but I, I do think if Withers is good to go, and it's a good point about Zach Tucci as well, Matt, um, I think this, this team would probably play best – style uh to kind of beat the chrome because they kind of honestly play a little bit similar you know the chrome the chrome do slow down a little bit more than the water dogs but both teams have the propensity to push it in transition when you know they want to um i think you know the the edge still lies with the chrome just because sean scanoni and net matt deluca played really really well in week two compared to week one um but that i, I do think the the reason i like the water dogs in this game is not only if withers can go but and can muck it up with Farrell, but I think their poles are really strong and could provide some issues for this offense. You know, I, I assume Ben Randa would match up on Dylan Malloy. Um, they were actually teammates on the Lizards. Um, I think he could hang, you know, really well with him. And then you got Gobrecht and Burns, you know, on Nick Turner and Wisnowskis. Um, I think you could, it could cause some trouble for this team. So um, I am kind of leaning water dogs in this one if, if they are fully healthy. Uh, but I do think it's going to be a close game. Um, but you know, wouldn't be surprised if Water Dogs get their first win against the Chrome. Um, wouldn't be surprised either, though, if the Chrome make it to 3-0 as well. And moving on, Atlas Whip Snakes. I know we kind of previewed this game a little bit, um, you know, just because we, we were talking about how good the Atlas were and how, you know, underwhelming the Whip, whip Snakes have looked. But, Brian, thoughts on this? Do the, you think the Whip Snakes have a shot to get it done, or what are, what are kind of their keys to kind of beating the Atlas in this game? I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I think it's going to be offensive pace. Because even though the Whips have traditionally a phenomenal defense, and they've shown that uh, in their two games so far, holding teams to 8 and 11, um, I don't know that they're going to be able to achieve that for the Atlas. So I think the urgency is going to fall a little bit on the offensive end of the field because I think the faceoff battle is going to be a little bit more of a 50-50. Uh, so I feel like each teams are going to have similar amounts of possessions, and I think that the Whipsnakes are really going to have to beat their matchups and capitalize. And I think the Archers are one of the harder teams to do that against right now with the strength they have at short stick defensive midfield. So if their defense, it it has to fall on one side of the field, and I think it's more likely that they have to succeed on the offensive side of the field more often be more efficient uh, to pull this one out against the Atlas. But I, I think – I really think the Atlas are going to pull this one out too. Uh, I think the Whip Snakes, I think they were lucky to get out of those first two games 2-0, and and I think that um, the Atlas, obviously, you know, they're top of the league. They've looked amazing. I think um, I think Brian made a really good point about the Atlas uh, short stick defensive midfielders. I think that you know with with no Zed, it'll be harder for them to um, it'll be hard for them to get their offense going like they need to to match the Atlas offense that's going to put up numbers. So I think that um, and those Atlas short stick defensive midfielders, I think they have a favorable matchup against the uh, Whip Snakes midfielders and. Yeah, I just I just don't see the Whip Snakes um, having the offensive uh, performance that they're going to need to against a really talented Atlas offense with no Zed Williams, and they've kind of um, underwhelmed me to start the season. The Whip Snakes offense, so I think that uh, 
until Zed Williams gets back, I just don't think they have the firepower to keep up with them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think no Zed Williams certainly hurts them. The only thing that I do think could help the whips, which kind of goes against what they like to do. You know, we, we hear they like to hit singles and stuff, but if they do kind of push it a little bit outside shots with the, the two point range, um, Concannon is worse actually from outside range, ironically enough, than in close. So that doesn't really help, you know, if you're trying to get Jay Carlson going, getting those, you know, goals in front of the net, Jack Concannon tends to snuff those mm-hmm. out. So if they can get Chanachuk involved, Brad Smith can shoot from range. Um, even like a Chris Aslanian actually has shown he can shoot from range. Not really in the PLL recently, but he did when he was on the Denver Outlaws. I think that could be in curse too, can shoot um, from range. I think that's going to have to be their best strategy because Zalas offense is so good that they might have to make up some goals with some two point goals. Now it's tough. You can't really, you know, you kind of have to be patient with two point goals. You can't force them. Um, you know, you see the Redwoods did that well in 2020 and you see the Atlas have done it well too with like Romar Dennis and Brian Costabile. But um, I'm definitely an Atlas in this one, but uh, that's how I think you could see the Whip Snakes have some success. And don't forget, don't forget about Michael Earhart. If, if the Whip Snakes can generate some transition and, and Mike Earhart could pull up from two, that could help them come back in, in the game if they're in a little bit of a deficit right now and then go tell Nardello to get the ball back. And I think that could be a potential key to success. We just haven't seen too much transition from them. And I think that contributes to why I was saying they felt slow where Atlas is going to push, push transition all day. I think that's going to be another key component for them keeping up with the offensive firepower of the Atlas in this one. Yeah, I agree. I think this is going to be high scoring. Um, You know, we'll talk a little bit betting tomorrow. The over under is 24 and a half. I got burned by half a point on the over under in the Cannons Atlas last week, which was brutal. So I'm kind of a little scared to play this over, especially because I think the Atlas can get it done. But what what worries me is, you know, the Whip Snakes aren't able to put up like 10 points. So that's kind of where, you know, I'm a little hesitant. You know, do I think that it's going to be, it it could be a 14-10 game and then I missed by the, the hook again. So um, definitely interesting, but I do think it's going to be fast paced because I think, I, I think the, like you said, Brian, the whip snakes are going to have to play fast because that's how the Atlas are going to play regardless. So they're going to have to kind of keep pace, definitely be strategic about it. Definitely have some long drawn out possessions to keep the ball out of, you know, Jeff T and Chris Gray's stick. But in order to get some of these points, you know, Atlas defense is good enough in six on six that they're going to have to make the most of some of these transition opportunities for sure. And then we move on to the Saturday games. We have uh, the Cannons versus Archers. This is an interesting one. Archers are favored in this one. Um, you know, it definitely hinges upon whether Lyle can go or not. And he had a wrist splint on prior to last game. So definitely not what you want to see. Um, honestly, I'm leaning towards him not playing this game. If I'm Coach Quirk, I wouldn't rush him back. It's still early in the season. You don't want to lose your top player, you know, third week in the season. So I'd be surprised if he's going. I don't have any inside information on that, but that's just, you know, my thought process right now. Um, but I don't know. Brian, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, Archers, Cannons, both teams have looked good and at points in the season, um, but also had some some weaknesses as well. Thoughts on this game? Yo, I, I think this one's kind of tough to read, Lyle or not. The, both teams have felt pretty solid. Uh, I feel like the Archers Cannons game is like hard to pull any real good information from the Cannons just because of how well the Atlas have been playing. I feel like we need a larger sample size. Um, and I think that this, you know, could be a test of the Archers offense. I think if, the, I, like I was saying earlier, I think if they show up, I think the Archers win. And uh, otherwise, offensive volatility will be will be the death of them again in the second year in a row. So I, I kind of expect a, a, a shootout in this one. Uh, but Morocco could prove me wrong again. So who knows? This one's the hardest to read of the week for me. I agree. And, you know, Stephen Kelly coming back, you're getting to face his former team now at faceoff. I think if they'll have the edge, uh, especially if Inacio is not back this week, I think uh, Cans will have the edge at the faceoff stripe. So Lyle or not, I think they'll get more opportunities to score. I think Inacio should be back. I know he had some visa issues, but him against Stephen Kelly – um, I'd give the slight edge to Stephen Kelly just because he has been in this league for um, since th- the beginning of it. And, you know, Anasio is going to be playing his second ever pro game. So I'd give the slight edge to the Cannons. I would lean Archers here personally to win just because I think the Archers offense, I think, will show up. 
and it's, well, this is only if there's no Lyle. I think the Cannons offense um, without Lyle just doesn't really have the firepower. And um, yeah, so I, I would lean Archers here as well. You know, it's actually funny. I think I'm almost the exact opposite of you. If Lyle's in the game, I think their offenses are similar in, in capability. And I think their defenses are, are actually a little bit of the differences or, or a little bit different, especially in makeup. I mean, the archers have like guys that can really push and transition up top uh, in their poles. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think the cannons have the Hasek. I know they have Brody Merrill and he's, you know, powerhouse always, but he's, I don't think he's the same type of defender as Hasek. And I think, I think the cannons defense is really going to be deterministic about whether or not they cover in this game or win for that matter. So that's our kind of thoughts on cannons versus archers. Um, definitely going to be, I think, a shootout and definitely will be interested to see how um, both teams respond. You know, archers coming off a win and cannons coming off a loss. Well, let's go to the final game of the weekend that got flexed to the later game is the chaos versus redwoods. Obviously both 0 and 2. Someone's going to get their first one this weekend. Don't know who. Kind of tough to judge right now, but Matt, thoughts on the chaos versus Redwoods? Um, you know, think the Redwoods can kind of bounce back, or do you think the chaos get it done with this skeleton squad for one more week? Uh, I think I think this is a really tough game uh, to gauge. I I honestly can't believe that the Redwoods are the favorites in any game based off their first two. I thought that was crazy to me, but um, yeah, I think that I think that the Redwoods offense is going to continue to struggle against this chaos defense. Obviously, you know, Blaze is amazing. And those polls, they had their moments where they look really, really good. And I think that the Redwoods, um, I think the Redwoods offense, I just, I just, no, no, no signs for them point to them, like finding their solution and finding their rhythm. So I, I'm going to lean chaos here. Just because I think the Chaos have played well for who they've put out there. They lost one goal. Well, they lost by one goal to the Whip Snakes. And then in week two against the Archers, they definitely could have won that game. I thought they looked pretty good. So uh, I I would lean Chaos here just because I haven't seen anything from the Redwoods this season that would make me think that they would essentially win or do anything on offense. And yeah, I I'm, I'm going to lean Chaos here. What about your thoughts, Brian? Similar thoughts on the Redwoods chaos? Yeah, on the same page. I, I feel like most people will be. But I think uh, the two main things that are going to contribute to the chaos winning is besides their offensive you know, efficiency for who they have put out there and they just haven't been together very long. It's surprising that they're performing so well together. Uh, but I think the two things that are going to contribute to them winning is uh, the chaos have been playing really aggressive defense. And I struggle to imagine that the Redwoods really turn it on that hard and start beating their matchup this week, even though that's literally what they have to do to beat uh, the chaos. I just think they've been very, the chaos have been very defensively sound and I don't, I don't see that strategy just suddenly working for the Redwoods. And the other is that uh, the Redwoods goalies have been really struggling. They haven't played a game where they've had double digit saves and I just, you just can't, I don't, I don't really know if it's, whether or not the defense is just letting up good position shots or if the goalies just aren't seeing it well or a combination of the both right now. But you, I can't imagine a universe where you can succeed in a professional lacrosse league making those few saves. So something has to change. And the problem is it's not even something that a substitution in week one solved for them. So they really have an issue to sort out there for the Redwoods. And if the chaos can take advantage of that, or if the Redwoods can, you know, smack Troutner or Kelly enough times to get them hyped up to for the game and they start seeing the ball better. I don't I don't see an outcome different from the the chaos taking this one. Yeah, so I, I this one's tough for me because I think if you had the chaos at full strength, you had Adler at the stripe, you had, you know, their full offense, um, I would definitely take chaos. I think many people would. The thing I do think the Redwoods, and you brought this up is Chaos defense looks great this year, but they do press out. They do play aggressive. And the Redwoods obviously have the guys to win their one-on-one matchups. That hasn't been their issue. Their issue has been stagnant, you know, been stagnant offense, no ball movement. 
So I do think this is a pretty good matchup for them. And I think it's going to come down to, can they beat their one-on-one matchups, which I think they can. And can TD get them enough possessions that way Redwoods don't have to play as much defense. So I kind of like this as a bounce back spot for the Redwoods. Um, I still think it's going to be a close game and it wouldn't surprise me if the chaos win, if Tommy Kelly comes out and actually plays really, really well against TD. Um, You know, he can kind of do a similar thing that Connor Farrell did to them last week. So you know, the, the wing play definitely has to be better. They're missing John Sexton definitely on the wings there because the wing play for the Redwoods needs to be better. They need to help TD out a little bit more. But um, I do think this is a good spot for the Redwoods. I think it's the best spot they've seen so far um, this year. So, you know, don't know if I'm bold enough to, to think they're going to win. Definitely don't like them betting-wise as favorites, um, you know, but I do think this could be their chance to kind of get right in this spot. So definitely we'll be interested to see how they do. I, I think it, it's a good matchup for them to get right. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be easy, but it would be the best matchup I think for them right now, based on the teams they face so far. So those are our thoughts on this week three slate. Definitely excited to see these teams play in long Island. It's also the induction ceremony for the hall of fame players. So very looking forward to that as well. Paul Cantamine joined us earlier this year. He's one of the inductees as well as some phenomenal players in addition to him making it into the hall of fame this year. So definitely looking forward to that, but appreciate you guys listening. Those who tune in on Twitter spaces and those who are listening on the podcast as well. Uh, be sure to leave us a five-star review. If you enjoy this episode, subscribe. So you get all the episodes each week, tune into our other podcasts like bet on lacrosse, which is also a Twitter space on, on every Wednesday, as well as the fantasy lacrosse podcast hosted by Matt Parker and Topher, which debuts every Thursday um, helps you guys get ready for player Royale and the PLL. So if you guys haven't started playing fantasy lacrosse, definitely get involved and listen to those guys' podcasts. Looking forward to having them hop on and do that each week as well. But we appreciate you guys for tuning in and listening to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk.